grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word endures forever. Let us pray that we might hear God's voice. Spirit of Emmanuel, overshadow us in the proclaiming of your word. To our confusion, bring wisdom. To our darkness, bring dawn. To our restlessness, Jesse's root. To our locked doors, David's key. To us and to every nation, speak your challenge and blessing. Amen. A reading from the prophet Zephaniah. Hush before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has established a sacrifice. God has made holy those who are summoned. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. I will punish the men growing fat on the sediment in their wine. Those saying to themselves, the Lord won't do good or evil. Your wealth will be looted and our houses destroyed. They will rebuild houses, but not live in them and will plant vineyards, but not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and coming very quickly. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. Warrior screams there. That day is a day of fury, a day of distress and anxiety, a day of desolation and devastation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and deep darkness, a day for blowing the trumpet and alarm against those invincible cities and against their high towers. I will make humanity suffer. They will walk like the blind because they sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their intestines like manure. Moreover, their silver and their gold won't be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's fury. The Lord's jealousy will devour the entire land with fire. God will make an end a truly horrible one for all the inhabitants of the land. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, therefore keep alert because you don't know the day or the hour. It's as if a man who was leaving on a trip called his servants and handed his possessions over to them. To one, he gave five valuable coins. To another, he gave two. And to another, he gave one. 
He gave to each servant according to that servant's ability. Then he left on his journey. After the man left, the servant who had five valuable coins took them and went to work doing business with them. He gained five more. In the same way, the one who had two valuable coins gained two more. But the servant who had received the one valuable coin dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who received five valuable coins came forward with five additional coins. He said, Master, you gave me five valuable coins. Look, I have gained five more. His master replied, excellent. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come celebrate with me. The second servant also came forward and said, master, you gave me two valuable coins. Look, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come celebrate with me. Now the one who had received one valuable coin came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man. You harvest grain when you haven't sown. You gather crops when you haven't spread the seed. So I was afraid and I hid my valuable coin in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. His master replied, you evil and lazy servant, you knew that I harvest grain where I haven't sown and that I gather crops where I haven't spread the seeds. In that case, you should have turned my money over to the bankers so that when I returned, you could give me what belonged to me with interest. Therefore, take from him the valuable coin and give it to the one who has 10 coins. Those who have much will receive more and those who have more will than they need. But as for those who didn't have much, even the little bit they have will be taken away from them. Now take the worthless servant and throw him out into the farthest darkness where people will be weeping and grinding their teeth. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. When stand-up comedians start talking about the parables, you know it's time to take another look to see what you've missed. Last year, Maria Bamford tried to gauge whether or not she was a good person based on stories from the Bible that she learned as a child. Giving $20 to a homeless man outside of Target is better than nothing but the Good Samaritan would drive that guy to a hotel to clean him up. 
And since Queen Esther spoke truth to power, the least Maria could have done was make sure that the extras on the set of her TV show were not locked inside a trailer on a 100 degree Los Angeles afternoon. But what about this story of a wealthy slave owner who gives his servants money to manage? Ever since Bamford was little, the parable rubbed her the wrong way. Talking it over with her mom, she asked, Mom, what do you think? Are you bringing in any cash? Christ needs cash. God is invoicing. As for me, I've heard sermon after sermon encouraging me, use your talents. Maybe you've heard a message like that too, making the leap from the Greek word for a valuable coin to lantern, to the talent in each of us to reflect God's kingdom. Sometimes churches turn the parable into a fundraising gimmick, giving each member 10 or 20 or $50 to double for the congregation to bring in money for a mission project using their gifts and their skills. Christ might not need cash, but you wouldn't want to disappoint God, would you? Not like that sorry servant too afraid to risk his one coin. But that's exactly the problem, isn't it? We pass by that fear too quickly. Listen again to what that third servant says. Master, I knew that you are a hard man. You harvest grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was afraid. The servant isn't afraid of taking a risk on the stock market. He's not afraid that he'll disappoint his buddy. He's afraid of someone who reaps where he has not sown. Someone who enslaves farmers, shackling them to crushing debt. The boss man doesn't spread the seeds, but he gathers the crops and turns a profit that his workers will never see uh, beyond some loose change. A person who has that level of disregard for human decency sends a shiver down that servant's spine. The risk isn't about money. The risk is about the violence that is spread across the country coming down on his head. Growing up, neither Maria Bamford nor I were ever taught to sit with that terror. We weren't supposed to question it. Better not to bring it up at all. If we did, then our Sunday school teachers would be put on the spot to square this image 
with a loving God. If we didn't accept terror in the Bible, well, we wouldn't develop the tough exterior you need to survive an unfair and ugly world. It would be best to get into the habit of pleasing God, earning a gold star and a well done, good and faithful servant. Accepting the shame and self-loathing that come along as a package deal. Now, I don't want to downplay the many treasures that growing up in the family of Christian faith passed along to me. My Sunday school teachers were wonderful. They taught me stories of God's mighty and redeeming love. My pastors were fine preachers, affirming that the grace of Jesus Christ was sufficient for me. But all of us compartmentalized and kept things comfortable. So we never questioned why a hard man who is only concerned with accumulating wealth would be an appropriate image for God. And we never read things like Zephaniah's gruesome take on the day of the Lord. Because divine wrath, that's disturbing. If I witnessed a scene like the one the prophet describes with blood and guts staining the ground like dust and manure, I would probably contribute to the mess by losing my lunch. But what seems to make us queasier is the idea that hoarding wealth at the expense of others' bad lot in life makes God's blood pressure skyrocket. Come on, Lord, don't you want the money to trickle down? Nope. Instead, God promises to lay waste to a society that thinks gold and silver can deliver them. God has no special love for a nation that lets its children starve for food and dignity while forfeiting on a livable climate for its children's children. Well, that's Zephaniah's God. But what about the Gospel of Matthew? Uh, is this Sunday all wrath? No path but fear? Back in January, almost a year ago, if you can believe it, although it feels like a decade, our congregation hosted a meeting for the Presbytery, the regional family reunion of Presbyterian churches in this part of New York State. If you were here, you might remember that the guest speaker, Rick Ufford Chase, was also deeply disturbed by the violence in this parable. As a young adult, he kept asking, how can the kingdom of God be compared to a vindictive, money-loving boss? In Guatemala, 
while working with a network of congregations, Rick got his answer. The kingdom of God isn't mentioned anywhere in the parable. Come again? The kingdom of God isn't mentioned anywhere in this parable. When I crack open my Bible at home, the common English Bible translation, and I read the kingdom of God in this passage, it is because the interpreters wrote it in to try to make sense of it. So if it's not there, how do we make sense of it? Keep alert, Jesus says. You don't know the day or the hour that the kingdom will come. Keep alert, not just as bridesmaids waiting for the groom who is late to his own wedding, but keep alert, pay attention to the terror of a world dominated by those who make their wealth on the backs, the broken backs of the poor. Keep alert. Pay attention to the temptation to play into the game, like the first two servants. How do you think they doubled their investments? How else, except by buying up bankrupt farmers' land and harvesting where they themselves did not plant seeds. The kingdom is coming. Have no doubt about that. But the boss man will get here first. And he is very comfortable being God's substitute. Come, celebrate with me, he says to his collaborators. Enter into the joy of your master. When he turns to us, will we acknowledge him as master? Or will we hold out for Adonai, the Lord who liberates enslaved folks? I have no illusions about my own goodness, but here's what gives me hope. The Lord whose kingdom is on its way is the Lord who has already walked in our footsteps. The voice of thunder on Sinai's height took on a backcountry accent. The one who forged gold and silver from the heat of supernovae became a poor man. This parable is one of Jesus' last. It is a story he told in the shadow of his arrest and execution. It does not promise that we will be safe. It did not protect him from the cross. But if the promise splashing over us in our baptism is true, and I believe it is, then we who wait for the kingdom are buried with Christ in death and are raised with Christ to new life, even now. God changes the story. It doesn't end with darkness, 
weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the story that we are telling. God's story, the story for all creation, ends with a feast shared with the broken and the humbled. Beloved, do not give that so-called master a dime more than he gave to you. Instead, let us seek out our sisters and brothers who long to taste dignity and break bread with them. Christ's grace gives us the courage to wait and to watch and to work for a new world for our children's children. For such grace, let us give all glory and all gratitude to God, our ending and our beginning, our past and our promise, our judge and our hope. Amen.